Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. Hello, and welcome back to Emerge Evolve Lead. My guest this week is Greg Offner, who is a multi-talented person with a passion for entertaining and educating others to become high performers and more fulfilled leaders. He's a piano player, a keynote speaker, coach, trainer, the list goes on, but he's here to help us all to step up to the next level of our professional growth. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. How are you doing? Maureen, it's great to be here. Thanks. I'm glad you're here too. So why don't we just start by telling our audience a little bit about who you are, like what is your life like now, your home life, your work, you know, what do you do for a living, that sort of thing. Sure. So I uh, live in the Philadelphia, live in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, and I am a new dad. Uh, so our daughter is 18 months old in, in just a couple days, and that's brought with it amazing experiences, frustrating experiences, a whole lot of growth, um, mm -hmm. a whole lot of what I call becoming a beginner again. And, uh, you know, so that takes up weekend time. It takes up daytime. It, people <laughs> Nighttime. Kids, you know, it takes up a lot of time. <laughs> um, but when I'm not enjoying life with her and my wife, uh, you know, going to comedy shows or playing ice hockey, um, I work with organizations and individuals. You mentioned I'm a keynote speaker. I facilitate workshops. Um, I'm really passionate about helping people and organizations take the irk out of work, create an environment where we can elevate the experience of work and allow the people within an organization to deliver inspired performances. And all of that comes on the heels of a multi-year journey uh, to regain my voice. I've had about 15 surgeries over the last six years and in 2015, initially doctors, you know, when they saw the vocal cord damage that I had sustained through just years of misuse and overuse of my voice, they said, if you don't do something right now, you're going to lose your voice permanently. And when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. So a lot of this came then from speaking and just using your voice a lot. Like, boy, we hear Tony Robbins now. I mean, he, are you kidding? He's is so gravelly and he has to, when he goes on stage, he has to take the whole next day off and not talk to anybody. He has to save mm -hmm. his voice like that. Yeah. So tell me, tell us what happened and uh, what was the process like for you and how did you get through it? So in the business, we call that strict vocal rest. Tony goes on strict vocal rest, no talking, no coughing, no whispering, no whistling. The vocal cords are a really funny part of our body, and it's not one that many people think about. We kind of we take them for granted. But truthfully, they take a beating and they keep on going. For most of us, our vocal cords are connecting and smacking together thousands of times a day. Millions, probably. Wow. Yeah. And in that process, they sustain these little tiny cuts, these micro cuts. And if you think about what may happen to, let's say, your bicep, when you do bicep curls in the gym, you're really tearing the muscle. And as it rebuilds itself, it grows. Well, the vocal cords don't grow per se, but they rebuild themselves. They're pretty resilient. In my case, and in Tony's case, extensive overuse without proper hydration, 
without proper rest doesn't give those tears the opportunity to fix themselves, to rejuvenate. Mm. In my case, particularly, I can't speak about Tony Robbins, um, though if he's listening, I'd love to. Let's have a conversation. Because <laughs> um, I think that's an interesting connection that we have, right? Uh, in my case, at some point in my life, one of the valves in my stomach, the one that sort of acts like a trap door, it, it lets food in, but it keeps food from bubbling back up. Like the GERD thing, yeah. Ex well, exactly. So that valve just blew. Oh, And my. so every night I would lie down and the stomach acid would sit on my vocal cords. And the doctor oh. said, we don't know how long this has happened, but imagine that you have a paper cut on your finger, take a couple days to heal. But instead of letting it heal and putting the asporin on it, you put it in lemon juice overnight. And then the next day you cut it again. You put it in lemon juice overnight. <laughs> cut it again, lemon juice. Cut it again, lemon juice. Greg, we don't know how long this has been going on to your vocal cords, but the damage is so extensive. We don't even know how you're performing, how you're speaking or singing professionally. So if you do nothing, we give you about two months oh and my. then it's gone. And once it's gone, it's gone. But if you choose to do the surgery, know that it's not guaranteed outcomes. You may never sing again. You may never speak again with clarity. It may be like a very hoarse type of speech like this. And we don't know what the recovery period looks like. It's different for everyone. But best case, it'll be six to eight months until you can have the type of speaking voice that you have now. I said, six to eight months. Do you understand that during the day, I have a, I have a position of great responsibility within this insurance brokerage. If I don't go out and sell and speak to clients, I'm going to lose my job. And at night, what I'm doing as a professional pianist and entertainer, that fulfills my soul. I mean, I don't get paid a lot, but I love it. And if I can't do the one, I'm not sure that I want to do the other. And he said, listen, I can't help you with that. I can only fix your voice. So you've got to make these decisions. And, and so my, my then fiance, but my, my wife and I had to have a tough conversation because I knew that I knew that things would change. What wasn't clear approaching that first surgery was how much, how big and how difficult that transformation would become because over the next several months as my voice healed i went through a very emotional roller coaster um one day you wake up and it sounds a little funny and so your brain says oh boy worst case scenario it's 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 gonna turn on you and you're never gonna have your voice back and then the next day it's great and so maybe you get excited and you have a conversation that's longer or louder than you should and then it sets you back a day and it's this up and down up and down and then when things are finally looking good about the six to eight month mark, the doctor would say, okay, we have a good picture of how you've healed. We can see where some of the bumps and gunks are that weren't clear before. And we can see where this is really shining through. And we've got, uh, you know, some optimism about this particular aspect of your voice. It's time to do the next surgery. Oh, and then that process man. starts all over again. How I've many did you have? 13 times. Oh my goodness. Over in a year or two or what? No, over the last... So we started in 2015. April of 2015 was the first surgery. The very last one was October something if uh, 2020, just after my daughter was born. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that, you can see the scar from the last one. They actually did what they call a thyroplasty, where they slice you open from the outside. Oh, boy. And then they basically put... <laughs> I know some of your listeners who are not like medically interested are probably like, oh, uh, they, they basically put Gore-Tex alongside your vocal cords 
to push your vocal cords closer together so that they medialize is the is the technical term but so they close so they meet in the middle hmm. you know i remember when my daughter was like four something like that uh i brought her she was having difficulty with certain making certain sounds and she went we taught we brought her to a throat guy and he looked at those vocal cords and he said oh these are already damaged we need to have surgery and we we're like what and then after her surgery, she can't talk. She, you, she'd not be able to talk for like a week. And we just looked at each other and said, that's not going to happen. We never did get the surgery. She, they, they said things to her, like she'll probably never sing. Do you know, she has the most beautiful, incredible voice. So, so things do heal and grow and shift and change. Um, but did they fix the stomach problem, Greg, too? Because that I would think would be a major factor in continuing health for you. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And that was a, that was a really big factor because they said, if we do the vocal cord surgery without fixing the stomach, that whole cut your finger lemon juice situation, you know, right. that's going to happen again to your vocal cords. Right. So they went in and uh, minimally invasive surgery with, you know, a robot, they surgically rebuilt the valve in the top of my stomach. And that's not a fun procedure to recover from. I will tell Sorry. you, it, yeah. you know, was not fun. But uh, a couple weeks later, they say, hey, you're, you're clear to go back and resume regular activities. And I guess I wasn't clear with the surgeon on how active I was. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I played rugby in college. I still play ice hockey to this day. So, you know, 40 years old, I'm still pretty active. Um, <clears throat> within a couple of weeks, I was having this weird stomach pain. And it turned out that I had overexerted and popped one of the, the sutures and, and developed what they call a hiatal hernia. So they had to go back in, fix the stomach valve. In the process of fixing it, they nicked the vagus nerve, which is a really important nerve in your body. And so for several years after that surgery, um, I had this basically condition where the normal stomach digests food in 90 minutes to 120 minutes. Mine was taking 12 hours. So my last solid meal for about three years, four years until this kind of resolved itself was at 2 or 3 p.m., so that I could go to bed by 11. Mm. And it was, you know, I still, I have to sleep on an incline just to be doubly safe that nothing is sitting uh, in my larynx. The, the amount of lifestyle changes uh, were tremendous. And I mean, for me, some of this stemmed from alcohol use and abuse while I was singing. It's clearly not smart to dry out your vocal cords. Right. Drinking bourbon certainly dries out your vocal cords. And I would do that while I was performing. So modifying my lifestyle in that aspect too was challenging because most of my social life was built around going out and entertaining for my job working in bars um it was it was a tremendous challenge and my life today looks wholly different very different than yeah. it did six years ago you know, i remember um for a while in my corporate career, I did a lot of training of youth leadership and also um, Toastmasters, like speech organization that, you know, taught people how to give speeches. And also I taught facilitators how to train. And a lot of time, I always put in a little bit about how to take care of your voice and your vocal cords, like drinking coffee, 
alcohol, carbonated drinks, no, no, and no. And even cold water with ice, no. You want to drink like a warmer water with, you don't even need to have tea in it or anything. Just a warm sort of water with maybe a little lemon would be really good for you. And then always, I don't know about you, probably you do all kinds of things and I'd love to hear your tips and tricks, but warming up your voice. So I love it when, you know, before I do a podcast, I do some scales and I, you know, I use my voice a little bit so that I can you know, have some variety and vocal flexion. And a lot of times I'm, I'm putting myself on mute to clear, you know, I still feel like this <clears throat> all the time. And that's just with, you know, quote, healthy vocal cords. So you must've had to really go through a lot. So tell us, how did this really impact your, um, you know, your leadership skills and what did you learn and how were you able to apply it to your life that you are now teaching leaders and helping people to really be high achievers in their life? It's an interesting question because what the transformation did for me wasn't isn't so much what I bring into what I do now. It was in helping me get clear on what it was that I'm here to do in the first place. So like a purpose, are you talking about like really finding your purpose? Yeah. That's that internal knowing. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I was kind of like a ship without a rudder coming out of university. Um, I'd gone in thinking I wanted to be a music teacher and then coming out of military school into college, highly restrictive, all male school, going into a college where there was a seven to one girl to guy ratio. I was not very interested in spending time alone in the practice room with my instrument. I was more interested in spending time with members of the opposite sex and socializing and doing all the things I didn't do in high school. And that on top of what was going on in the education world, teachers sort of losing status, losing scale in terms of pay. I mean, I, my mom has been an, was, she's retired now, was an educator for 40 plus years and watching the, can I just say the BS that she had to put up with from an administrative side of things. Yep. Uh, when I went and did a couple of practicums, I thought, no way, like this is not, I'm not going to purposefully put my life into this situation. It doesn't seem to, to have a good payoff. And so now I'm stuck with all of these major specific credits and what do I do? So, you know, I picked an even less lucrative field to go into. I started studying philosophy and psychology. Like, oh what are you going to do there? Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. My parents, you know, God bless them. They supported me through all of it and they were very encouraging, but I got out with a very interesting hodgepodge of skills, but no real direction. Mm -hmm. And someone said, Hey man, you're a sociable guy seem to be good with words. Why don't you get into sales? Sky's the limit income wise, like go give it, a, go, go give it a whirl. And it was great. As long as you performed, there was very little accountability with where you were each day, when you worked, when you didn't, you know, if it took you two hours to hit your number or two weeks, no one cared, hit your number. That yeah. was your job. Gotcha. And I found I could do that very quickly, but I also started to get bored. I think the ADHD in me, once I mastered the mastered is a very strong word. Once I was highly competent in the skills that I was asked to display each day, I started to, to go, is this it? Like, you know, yeah, money's great. Free time's great. Like all my friends are working. What am I supposed to do with this free time? And as I got into my thirties, 
that pressure really ramped up because instead of feeling like I was going somewhere, I felt like I was simply trying to hold on where I was. Hmm. And that might be the first lesson is that change is constant. And so trying to hold on to where you are is not only futile, it's disastrous. Yeah, I agree. Instead of embracing moving forward and, and, and finding a new challenge, I was doing everything I could just not to get found out because I felt like an imposter, didn't think I belonged, didn't think like the other people that were with me. And I felt like an outcast. I wasn't, people liked me. My friends looked at me and thought, oh, that guy must be on top of the world. Look at his job. Look at all the things he's achieving. You know, and meanwhile, inside I'm miserable. But I had the music at night. I mean, that's what really emotionally pulled me through. And so when the time came, you know, where these doctors have this conversation and they say, Greg, you can't, you can't do this anymore. That for me was a real reckoning point to look in the mirror and answer this question. And it's a question that starts all of my work that I do with organizations, all of my work that I do with the individuals within them. And it's why are you here? Not in like, why are we here on the earth? We can go there, right? I was a philosophy major. We can talk about that. But at military school in the barracks I lived in, we had a mirror right in the alcove before we left the barracks. And on top of that mirror in big black block stick on letters, when you step out this door, you represent the Valley Forge Military Academy and College Regimental Band. Know why you're here. Yeah. So it's, you're talking about like, why are you here today? What is your intention and your purpose today? Who are exactly. you representing in your life now, mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, whatever, emotionally. Okay, good. So that helps you to really get into your headset or your mindset every day and what you're going to put out in the world in whatever way. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then you went with the flow. You, it, this helped you to get more into what speaking like sales is you obviously hit your numbers. Did you keep at the same job? I was in, I was in a, a company for like 28 years, 27 years or something. And I had a different job every other year. Cause I was the same way. If I wasn't growing, I was stagnating and I wanted out and I just moved around and moved around. I had 13 jobs in that 27 years. And I loved every bit of it because I was constantly growing and moving, but I was also going with the flow. And there was a lot of times when I tried to create stuff that didn't materialize or, or manifest. And every day I have to sort of get into acceptance, like, oh, this is exactly where I am. And I'm going to do my best every single day. Is that sort of, you know, you were talking about some of the, the keys to success that you've written about and that you offer to people. What are those seven keys to your success? Well, well, you just hit on a word that I think is is really, really powerful, and it's acceptance. Mm. And the 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 for me, what came with that directionless rudder <clears throat> was an inability to look in the mirror and accept who I saw. Oh, yeah. And and so, and the, the the power of those vocal surgeries, quite frankly, is the silence. Is that I mean, I spent over two and a half months in total absolute silence and it's not like i was just a shut-in watching netflix while this happened we were going to parties to social events i would bring a whiteboard with me and a dry erase marker that's how i tried to contribute or if i wanted to order a sandwich i'd have to write down what i wanted and show it to the person and, and 
there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with that. Mm. It was my first experience being handicapped. Yeah. And it was a humbling one. But in that silence, you also notice things that you don't when yap, 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 yapping. And you learn to communicate and be intentional with your communication. And listening. Precisely. Not just to others, but to yourself. Mm. To how you're showing up in a situation, to what's upsetting you, to what is, is frustrating you. Um, so your self-awareness and your self-reflection grew exponentially during mm -hmm. that time. And you became probably so much more aware of your thoughts as well. Mm -hmm. Were you able to change your thoughts? Like many of our listeners I know are meditators. I'm, I meditate every day. I, nothing stops me from my meditation. It's the only thing that is an absolute must do every single day. I also med, um, work out, but sometimes I don't. And, but not meditation. It's, it's right there. But there were many, many years that I just talked too much. My mom used to say, Maureen, your mouth has a mind of its own. <laughs> and I had to really learn to be quiet a lot in the corporate, you know, rooms, the meetings and decide, does this really need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me? And does it even need to be said at all? So good for you. You were sort of forced into that and you learned a lot from it. So that's awesome. And then when you got your voice back, you decided I'm going to really share it. Well, those are, those are three powerful questions you just mentioned. Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it really need to be said at all? Does, does it need to be said now? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said at all? Those are, those are really powerful. And like you, I had to learn to govern my mouth. In fact, I remember my first hockey banquet, you know, when you play hockey, they, at the end of the season, they award the first place team or whatever, uh, our coach got up and he would share a little tidbit about each player. And at the time I was a child, I didn't understand what he was saying, but I remember it. I remember it very clearly. He said, Greg is the type of kid who can tell you everything he did that week before you laced up your skates. <laughs> which was a very politically correct way of saying this kid does not shut up doesn't shut up <laughs> and and so in class that would carry over and i was always the disruptive kid the class not class clown but always trying to get a rise out of somebody you know get everybody to laugh mm. have some fun distract yeah. the class take it off course and just see what happened and so i feel like i found a natural fit in what I do, because that's that's my my goal is to help organizations change tack, to to take what's happening now and shift it in a powerful way for the organization and for the people within it. But I'd be lying if I said it was just losing my voice that helped me make that transition. The real catalyst for change was a stranger. And I got the other day to connect with this individual. Her name is Svetlana. Um, we lost touch over the last couple of years. She was dealing with some medical issues, but we, we met at a conference, conference in upstate New Jersey, um, or Northern New Jersey, I should say. And I was at that conference because I was halfway through my surgical journey is sort of what I call it now. So I was between surgeries, you know, six and seven or something like that. 
and so I'd gone through months of recovery and then steps back and recovery and steps back. And it, it got to the point where I thought is this, if this is what my life is, I don't know that I really am interested in living anymore. I was at a very, very dark place and I was standing waiting to take the subway to work. And I thought maybe getting in front of the subway instead of on it is a better decision today. And as quick as I had that thought come in my mind, another thought popped up and said, are you an idiot? Like that's a permanent decision to a temporary problem. But you need to think about these things in a more productive way. So I started to make choices and, and, you know, you asked, how can you change the thoughts in your head? Well, I think you change the thoughts by changing the input. So you can either change where you are and what you're doing. So going to the gym is a great way. If you're having a bad day, hit the gym, go for a walk change your physical state and when that's not helping change the input what's coming into your into your brain you know you can read something inspirational read sci-fi if that's your bag you know but just put something different into your brain than you've been doing if you want to get a different output you need to choose a different input that's a very basic musical experience there if you want a different sound choose a different instrument so while I was at this conference, which was my attempt at putting new information in, different information in, I'm at the concession stand waiting to get a, you know, a, a, I think I was waiting for soup, interestingly enough, because it was freezing cold and it was all junk food and then they had soup. And I was like, well, it's, that's the least junk food they've got. Um, <clears throat> and Svetlana struck up a conversation with me, just sort of that we're waiting, line is taking forever, and hey, first time here, blah, blah, blah. And as she's sharing her story, that was my thing, because I wasn't ready to talk about me. So I would just start to ask people their story and I'd employ my sales tactics and get them talking. And she tells me an amazing story. She's emigrant, emigrated here from Eastern Europe several years ago. Her family was under threat of execution and exile because of some political regime changes. She somehow wound up in this nowhere town in Pennsylvania and was in a terrific medical accident. And as she recovered from it, decided that she was gonna change her life and built this real estate empire for herself, which is just, I mean, the whole story had my mouth agape, jaw on the floor. I'm enraptured by what she's telling me. And as she finishes explaining why she's there that day, she said, but what about you? And this is the part I was hoping that, you know, we wouldn't get to. Maybe I'd get my soup and I could say, thanks, goodbye, before this part came up. But I thought, since I'm here, I, I paid for the experience. Let me just go full out. And I'm never going to see her again, so who cares? Let me just open the kimono and tell her everything. You know, no holding back. I guess my hockey coach would have been proud. So I shared everything with Svetlana, what I was afraid of, what I thought I did well, the thoughts that have been going through my head leading up to buying the ticket for this event and how I needed a change. And a smile sort of appeared on her face as I'm, I'm getting to the end of my story and her eyes are twinkling and she goes, you don't see it, do you? And she had this very self-satisfied look that she, she knew that she was she about to drop it. some knowledge. She saw it. What? <laughs> and, and she laid out for me really clearly all these things I had been telling myself were separate compartments of my life, could not at all meet each other, the musical part of me and the intellectual part, the, the business and the money-making part with the partier. All of these things I'd been trying to compartmentalize were what was killing me. 
I was trying to, I, I, I used the example of Voldemort, you know, and the Horcrux and splitting his soul into seven oh, pieces. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you're a Harry Potter fan, I was trying to split myself into all these pieces. And we talked, before we started recording, we talked about me being a chameleon. And in some cases that's helpful, but in some cases it's emotionally damaging to be one person here and another person here. Mm-hmm. It makes it tough to look in the mirror and know who this person really is. Who am I looking at? And she said, Greg, I think, I think that that could be you. And she pointed at the guy up on stage delivering a keynote. I think that you've got an interest, an ability, and a powerful message to share with people. I don't know what it looks like. I may be totally off base, but I'm hearing you. And this is what I'm, this is what the, this is what the vibrations are telling me. And I don't know if you're, if you're listening to this, if you've ever had one of those moments where your body feels lighter, everything around you is calmer and you just go, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I've, I've never experienced a sensation like that before in my life. And I chase it every day as you know, when I do meditate, it's that lightness, it's that clarity, it's that complete and total presence. And that's when I decided I, I finished the day there were a day or two left in the conference. And I went back to my hotel room and I spent nearly all night just scribbling. What would that look like? Yeah. How could I start? What did I, who did I need to talk to? Who could give me insight? And, and by the time I left, I came home and I told my wife, I said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start doing my own thing. Wow. That that's really, really uh, inspiring. And there is so much that I could really relate to there because I'm a speaker and a facilitator and I do a lot of that too. And And one of the things that I think all all of our listeners can really relate to is for you, we call it getting on stage, but for us, it is telling our story for the first time, or even the 50th time we tell our story, we don't prepare. We just get up there and we tell our story from the heart and we get in touch with the flow of life. And it just comes out so does gratitude. So do our lessons. So do the things that we learned. And we, when we tell our story and afterwards people come up and they're just like, Oh my God, you, you don't even, we, we don't even really know what the hell did I say? We kind of know generally what we said, but, <laughs> but it's amazing when you're in the flow like that. And I've experienced that on stage as well, because I have a lot of experience, you know, speaking in like AA groups and stuff in front of people. And uh, it is such an awesome, awesome feeling to be in the flow, knowing that you are doing and delivering uh, a message that can really, really help other people. So um, thank you so much for sharing that story, Greg. I think that um, there's so many people that can relate to it, really feeling like I found my purpose. I found what I really need to do. And as you begin to make that happen, you put a plan of action together. Um, It's just fantastic as we wrap up here for you to share um, any other message that you really want to give our listeners today. And also where can they find you and you know, what it is that you have to offer. Sure. And you, you asked a question before I shared that story about the seven keys, about these keys to success that I'd mentioned to you when we first started talking. And those came out of that experience. Because I, I had to determine what it was, you know, that I think it's Marshall Goldsmith book, what got you here won't get you there. So I said, all right, 
a lot of great skills have been learned on my way to this point in my life. Are they what's going to get me to the level where I can operate my own business, where I can serve other people, where I can do something that both fulfills me and creates enough financial impact for others that I can make a living and support my family? And what I realized was no. I mean, many of the skills were valuable, but they weren't, to use that line from the book, they weren't what was going to get me there. And as I spoke to people who were already in the speaking business, making a living doing it, who were running coaching practices, who were running consulting companies, working with some of the largest names in the planet, I realized that it wasn't the technical skills, you know, here's how I sell, hey, I'm Microsoft proficient. It was these tactical skills, understanding how to operate the billion dollar machine between our ears, leveraging curiosity understanding drive and how to cultivate it, managing our energy. I know this is a big one in the recovery community is halt, right? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I mean, I talk about your financial energy, your physical energy, and your emotional energy, managing those effectively at work, where we focus our time, a practice of gratitude. And what I've learned are, are some of the two most important of these seven keys, the last two, attitude and belief. An attitude is what others see when they look at us. We can't control it. We can only control the factors that influence it, like you our mean body perception. language, and how, how we show up exactly. And then belief, belief, we talked about acceptance earlier. Belief is what we see when we look in the mirror. What do we believe about ourselves, about what's possible? What are the rules that we've put on ourselves? And so I put together a little one sheet because I know I, 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 it's a lot. Seven of anything is a lot to talk about. The seven dwarves, can you name them? Probably not. So <laughs> I, I created a one sheet to make it simple. So if your listeners want to know what that is, um, I think this is an easiest way to get it to them. If they text the word KEYS, K-E-Y-S, to 33777, KEYS to 33777, I'll drop them the one sheet that explains what these seven keys are. And then if you're a musician, you understand that sharps and flats either raise a tone or they lower a tone. So the sharps are what amplify these keys in a very productive way. And the flats are when these keys can show up in a non-productive way. There's negatives to curiosity if it's not used the right way. There's negatives to drive and, and all these other skills. So I'd love it if they check that out. I'd love it if they connect with me on any of the major socials, you know, Gregory Offner Jr., or visit my website if you want to learn a little bit more about the professional work I do. But most of all, I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity to, to get to meet you, to speak with you, to hopefully, if not entertain, maybe educate and inspire some of the people that are listening. And, and I'm really grateful that we got connected. So thank you. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciated so much of what you shared. I did put all of that in the show notes so that people can check that later for getting in touch with you. So again, thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope we might have an opportunity, you know, in the future to have another conversation. That'd be awesome, Maureen. Thank you again. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.